Alrighty, good morning everybody. It's a good, good uh, crowd for a summer. It's good to see you. I'm glad that y'all are here with us. Um, as Pastor Wojan mentioned, my name is Danny. If we haven't met before, i uh, one of the pastors here. And if we haven't met before, and especially if you're new, new to Boston, new to Cornerstone, uh, please make sure you uh, fill out the contact card as you mentioned. Also come say hi to one of us so that we can connect, get to know you better, and just give you a lay of the land, help you feel more welcome here in the city or uh, in our church if you've been here for quite some time. So um, we are in a sermon series that we started just two weeks, or this is week three, on the life of Joseph in the end of Genesis. And today we have a lot of scripture to read, which, you know, as I was preparing and then I was preparing to say that, I realized how often we say that as if it's a bad thing. And I had to like quickly like, sorry, Jesus, you know, like, you know, sorry. And then I realized, why would I say that as a bad thing? Um, I think if I decrease my manuscript and my words and increase scripture, it's net positive for everybody. And so I am happy to have lots of scripture to read. But because of that, and I like keeping time, and I know that everyone gets hungry, um, I am going to decrease what I say and increase what, the, what God says. Um, but let me catch us up for those of you who haven't been with us the past few weeks of where we're entering the story of Joseph. So two weeks ago, Pastor Linda kicked off this story. Joseph is our main character, and he and his family have bad relationships. His brothers, he has a lot of them, and they hate him to the point where they plan on killing him. They plan on murdering their own brother. They decide to pivot, and instead, they sell him into slavery. And then he ends up being bought by uh, slave traders who bring him to Egypt, and he gets in uh, uh, enslaved to a man named Potiphar. In Potiphar's house, he does really well. He ends up becoming second in command. He goes from slave to power. And then, unfortunately, Potiphar's wife sexually assaults him and then frames him for her crime, and he ends up in jail. So where we'll enter the story today is the beginning of that part where Joseph is wrongly imprisoned, and he is already there. And so we turn to God's good word in Genesis 40. We'll read this together. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, officers, the cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them, and they continued for some time in custody. And one night, they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head Restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. 
For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of his chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. So let's pause here for a second. So we find out in the next verses that the cupbearer forgot Joseph for a whole two years. And I can't imagine how difficult that must have been. I don't even like waiting in line at the grocery store for 20 minutes. This guy is in prison wrongly. He has his way out. He's like, all you got to do is remember me and get me out of here, man. Like, I did not deserve to be in here. And he completely forgets him for two years. So that's really difficult, but it's like a small note in the, in the passage, but I don't want to pass on that. Two years of waiting. But thankfully, two years later, albeit a long time, Pharaoh has dreams too that trouble him, and he's looking all over the place to find someone to interpret these dreams, but he can't find anyone. And finally, the chief uh, cupbearer, cupbearer's yeah, memory is sparked, and he's like, oh my gosh, I forgot. There's this guy in prison who interpreted our dreams, and they came true exactly as he said. So Pharaoh pulls Joseph out of prison, and he has Joseph interpret his dreams. And Joseph tells him, this is what your dreams mean. The next seven years are going to be plentiful harvest, but right after that are going to be full seven years of horrible, harsh famine. So what Joseph says to Pharaoh, he says, hey, you need to find a leader, appoint somebody to collect lots and lots of food in these good seven years so that in the bad seven years we don't all starve to death. And so here's where we pick back up in Genesis 41. So this proposal to collect lots of grain and save it for later pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and as wise as as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain around his neck, and he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zapenath Peniah. And he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Oops. Sorry. See, this is why you use paper and not iPads. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. 
He put in every city the food from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand on the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so that was a lot. But in this portion of Joseph's life, as usual, there's this huge swing of events. I read a lot, and I hope you followed with me. But in the beginning of what I read, Joseph is in prison. At the end of what I read five minutes later, he is second in command of the most powerful nation of all the world. It's like someone was in prison, and two years later, they're vice president. Talk about dramatic life and swings. So his circumstances are difficult, they're chaotic, there's drama, it's constantly unsettled and shaky. Sounds a little bit like our lives today, but maybe, I hope your life is not as uncontrollable as that. But we find that God was good and in control from start to finish of Joseph's life. And so today, our focus for this message is going to be on what we know that is true about God that will never change regardless of your life circumstances, regardless of the situation you are in right now, the things about God that will be forever unchanging. And so our circumstances do not change these three truths that I'd like to share with you. The first one is this, that God is providing for all of your needs. No matter the circumstances you are enduring today, friends, God is providing for everything that you need for each day. In chapter 41, Pharaoh ends up having these disturbing dreams, and he's troubled, so he's looking for everybody to interpret them. He can't find anybody. Cupbearer remembers Joseph, pulls him out of prison, and he asks to interpret his dream. And this is at the point where we see Joseph's character. I can't believe that he still shows character. Frankly, excuse my language, after his life has sucked up until now. I think if it were me, I'm just going to be blunt with you, I would hate God at this point. I would have blamed him for everything, been so pouty, but Joseph still shows humility and he points everything to the provision of God. He says this, Pharaoh says, I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, I love this, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. He says something similar to it in verse 25. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And he repeats it in verse 28. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Joseph is so clear that he has nothing to offer. He is merely a mouthpiece. He doesn't have the ability to interpret dreams. This is not a spiritual gift that he has been given. God gives him the ability and God does all the work. God places the wisdom in his mind. And with this provision from God, 
He interprets the dreams of Pharaoh. He gets released from jail. He ends up being number two in all of Egypt. Let's not mistake this as inspirational hero of the Bible of just like Joseph gritted his way out of prison into second place. Just as Joseph was like tough and he had a thick skin and he pushed his way. No, he didn't do anything to get himself out of jail. God paved that road for him. And I think that if you are in a tricky and unsettled and chaotic and dramatic season of your life today, it's, it's really easy for us to not realize that God actually has equipped you with everything that you need for the situation, that we are never lacking. I've been thinking of Psalm 23 so much in the past month, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That old English, I'll translate it into, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. But when situations are difficult, it doesn't feel that way. We're often left believing that if we only had blank, the thing that we're missing, then our life wouldn't suck so much or be so difficult. If I had more money, then I wouldn't worry about my bills and therefore I wouldn't stress. If I had more friends, I would have more community and I'd be happier and I wouldn't be lonely. If I had a boyfriend, a girlfriend, like just fill in the blank of what we assume we're lacking, what God has not in fact providing for us, and life would be better in that situation. What we need is something new, in order to remedy the situation of my life today. But scripture tells us over and over again, you have everything that you need and more than that. God gives us everything that we need for each day. Our circumstances often make us feel like we're in need, and so our attention, it focuses on what we don't have as opposed to what we do. And we focus on what we want to ask God or demand from him instead of thanking, for, thanking him for what he has already provided and God gives us just what we need and is always providing. He never ceases to provide for us. So if you're like me and you feel like there's something missing, I'm praying for us that God will change our perspective into seeing what we have in abundance. Because our circumstances do not change the truth that God is providing for all of our needs. Secondly, our circumstances don't change the fact that God is redeeming all broken things. Because of all these things that Joseph went through, he ends up the person in charge of preparing for the famine, right? God equips him with the wisdom to be a good leader. And then he provides for all the Egyptians who are in need in these seven years of harsh famine. All the earth, scripture says, came to Egypt also. It wasn't just the Egyptians that need and benefited from this. All the world did. So God would end up using Joseph's leadership to save thousands of lives. Now, when he says Egypt and all the earth, when the, when the author writes that, we're not exactly sure what all the earth means. Was it millions? I don't know. Maybe not. But at least thousands of thousands of people God would save because of Joseph's leadership. God is in the business of redemption. He takes bad situations and turns them around for his glory and for our good. And he does it over and over and over again. I started, This is not necessarily good theology, but I started thinking, should we want bad things to happen? Knowing that some, like God is going to turn that around for good. And I, but one thing I do know for sure is when we're in tough situations, I think scripture is littered with enough proof that you can expect there to be redemption coming forth from that place. See, Joseph's path leading him there didn't just op offer him to the, the opportunity to provide food and save hungry people. If we, let's not stop at Genesis. Let's just keep going. 
he was a major part, his life was a major part in God's whole story of redemption, of saving the entire world, so that what started in Egypt thousands of years ago, we're in a random city across the ocean talking about the same God. We'll see next week, and then, you know, beyond that, Joseph's family ends up in Egypt. We see after that, flip a few more pages. Israel grows so much, we turn into the Exodus, and Moses' story comes up. God delivers his people out of Egyptian slavery. If you just keep flipping a little bit more, that wandering people ends up in the promised land. Out of that promised land, people would come a guy named King David. Out of that guy, King David, his line, his ancestry would come a guy named Joseph who would marry a young girl or be betrothed to a young girl named Mary where the Messiah would come from. Jesus of Nazareth, the Savior of the world. Joseph's ups and downs in his life were not just a part of feeding hungry people for seven bad years. It is integral to the part of God's whole story of redemption. There is no rest of the Bible if Joseph's life wasn't as crazy and difficult as it was. He went through so many hardships that we would not wish upon anybody. But his life is witness to the fact that God redeems. He brings an infinite amount of good out of a lot of difficulty. And if you are in a season of heavy difficulty right now, one thing I can promise you, I don't know what the outcome will be. I don't know what you'll learn from it. But what I do know is God is not just going to let that pass without there be, being a moment of powerful redemption in your life. You can trust that your circumstances do not change, that God is a redeeming God. Lastly, our circumstances don't change, speaking of Psalm 23, that God is perfectly shepherding your life all the time. It never stops. If there's anything we can learn from Joseph's life, it is that God is provident, has a providential love and care over your life in every facet of it. This means providential, providence, fancy word for he's sovereign, fancy word for he's actively shepherding, fancy word that he cares and he's there for you. Not only do the negative circumstances not change that, but sometimes they're very much a part of that. Think about how hard Joseph's life was. He gets attacked by his brothers. He gets sold into slavery by his own family. He ends up being sexually assaulted by the wife of a man who bought him as a slave, and then he gets framed for the crime that she committed against him. He gets thrown into jail. And with hindsight, we're able to see how every twist and turn led him to the exact place that he's supposed to be, the exact and best place that God intended. So many things had to happen with exact precision in order for the events to have occurred. And this is not coincidence. This is not happenstance. This is sovereignty. This is shepherding. Every once in a while, I'll, and I'm sure you can relate to me, I'll bump into like a crazy coincidence, right? And, and at some point, I forget when it was, just not that many years ago, I stopped calling it coincidence and just started calling them like God moments. You ever say, like, you ever have a friend of a friend who knows a friend and they're your friend and they married your cousin and they're like, oh my God, and what do you say? What does everybody say? Oh my gosh, what a small world. You know, the, have you stopped to think about that? The world's not small. The world is really, really big. The world is huge, but we're, oh my God, what a small world. No, it's big. 
But we have a God that shepherds crazy coincidental moments in a huge world. Let me share you about one of them. It's not profound. It's just funny. Back in 2017, I went down to Atlanta, flew down to Georgia because my dad moved down there. And there was a conference going on that many of you are familiar with called Passion. I was like, oh, you know, it's, it's made for college students and college leaders. Hey, I'm a college leader. Hey, my dad lives there, like two birds, one stone. So I flew down to Georgia, spend time with my dad, and go to the conference for, you know, continuing education. So my routine for four straight days, but I'd wake up, I, my dad had a Starbucks, like, right around the corner from his house. I'd hop onto 85, and all that sucky traffic in Georgia, and then park at a huge satellite, uh, satellite parking lot of the many around the Georgia Dome, walk to security, phone wallet keys, you know, beep, beep, scan, and then find my seat in the stadium. Over and over again, that was my routine. This particular morning, I was running late, and my ears are old and, and not, they don't work well, so like, I don't need to be in the lower level. You know, all the, all the students are like running and like trampling each other to get like up front, like right by the stage. I'm like, I'm gonna go all the way up there. So I took like escalator after escalator after escalator, and I finally made my way to the top, and I was like, where can I, and I just, okay, I'm gonna go over there. So I literally went to like the nosebleeds in this random seat in the far corner. This was hosted in the Georgia Dome. It doesn't exist, they tore it down, they built the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, but it's where the Atlanta Falcons played football. So it's an NFL stadium, 71,000 seat capacity. So uh, 71,000 seats may not mean much to you, but like, let's, let's take the garden. Maybe you guys have gone to a, a sports game there, a concert, show, whatever. The Garden, our venue, the basketball venue, concert venue, is 19,000 capacity, and it's huge. The Georgia Dome is 71,000. Very big, right? Americans really like football. So I find my seat in this giant stadium, and who walks directly to my row but a cornerstone person? A lot of you don't know this guy. Some of you do. This guy, his name is D Stash, first name D, last name Stash. No, just kidding. His name is David. He's a former Cornerstone member. Not all of you know him. He's a former BC student and a brother to many of us at this church. Walked directly to my row. Look at, I don't, can you see the back? I'm in the nosebleeds. I told you. They covered off those seats. This is the wall of a 71,000-seat arena. Some of you are there, oh, what's the big deal? We run into each other all the time. Yeah. Did, my, did it change my life? No. But think about what had to happen for this to occur. Is it coincidence? If I woke up on time, we would, that wouldn't have happened. Or if I left one minute earlier or later, that wouldn't have happened. If there was one customer more or one customer less in front of me at Starbucks, that wouldn't have happened. If I spent one minute less or more in traffic, that wouldn't have happened. If I parked at a different parking spot and took a little bit longer to walk to the stadium and phone wallet keys, boop, boop, scan, 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 that wouldn't have happened. If there were more people in the security line, it wouldn't have happened. If he chose or I chose any one of 70,998 seats, it wouldn't have happened. And there's more. I could have tied my shoe, I could have gone to the bathroom. How many criteria are there that wouldn't, it wouldn't have happened. Now think about Joseph's life circumstances. Obviously way more significant than just bumping into an old friend. But let's piece it apart in the same way and look at his life systematically. Joseph's brother sell him away because they are the worst. They sell, instead of killing him, they were supposed to kill him, but they decide to sell him instead. 
They sell them not to just anybody, but specifically to these Ishmaelites that are passing along their way, and they're not going anywhere. They're going to Egypt. Those Ishmaelites end up in Egypt and sell them not to anybody. They sell them to a guy named Potiphar, who has a wife who decides to assault Joseph and, and frame him and send him into prison. He also could have fought back. He could have actually committed adultery and slept with her too. We don't know what would have happened in the story, but he chooses to run. That's it. He just runs away and he gets thrown in jail. Last week, Pastor Hojin mentioned that Joseph, by law, should have been executed, but he wasn't. We don't know why. We do know why. It's not coincidence. It's God. He gets, instead of executed, he gets thrown into jail. But not any jail. A jail of the royal prisoners. Not the community jail. The jail of the president. The jail of Pharaoh. The jail of leaders. Because he's in that jail, I'm going on and on, he runs into who? Pharaoh's prisoners, the chief cupbearer and chief baker, who he interprets their dreams and he interprets Pharaoh's dreams and then he's out. All this criteria God uses to do a great work out of Joseph's life and one little tiny change in the outcome is different. God is in control and shepherding our lives with his good love for us even, unfortunately, friends, This may not make it feel better when our circumstances are just nuts. And as Pastor Hojan reminded us, here's what will and can and does make us feel better when our circumstances are like that. That God is with you in the middle of those things. And he is redeeming those things. And he is shepherding you. He never stops. And he's providing for you. So we relook at Joseph's life and see that God was with him when his brothers treated him badly. When his brothers, his own family, sold him as a slave, God was with him even when he was getting abused at Potiphar's house and when he was wrongly accused. God was with him when he was in jail. God was with him when the cupbearer forgot about him for two years. God was with him in Egypt and so on and so on and so on. So let me combat a truth that I think that all of our flesh is like constantly tug-of-warring. Because we often are like, God, where are you? It's usually our gut instinct. But when your life is disordered and difficult and painful, God is with you. It's literally in his nature. It is impossible for him to be absent. It is impossible to do anything but to shepherd you. It is just, it is not right theology. It's not who he is. He cannot be absent from your life if you are his child. And I think we often think, oh my gosh, like God is such a good shepherd. When things are good, when a prayer is answered, we're like, wow, God is with me. But as we grow and mature in our faith, we start to recognize in the worst of times, God is with me. And he's doing that right now. I don't think it's coincidence that you're here the seat that you're sitting in, the people that you're sitting next to, and whatever is going on in your life with your family, work, school, kids, all of us, like post-COVID life, it's still going on. All this transition, even here at Cornerstone, that's happening. What is the trial that you're enduring or the many? He's with you. He's shepherding us right now. Our circumstances do not change the truth that he is perfectly shepherding our life, that he is providing for our every need, and that God redeems broken things. He turns them into good.
See, there is a part of the story that I wish was there. How was Joseph acting? I want to know, was he super duper mature? And every time something hard happened, he didn't complain. He just took the punches. I trust you, God. Maybe. He could have also been pouty and bitter the whole time. Maybe. We don't know. But one thing that we do know, regardless of how he, like, was he, did he have attitude? Was he good? Did he complain to God? Was he always like, oh, I trust you, Jesus? I don't know. But we do know that he was faithful. Whenever his life circumstance changed, circumstance changed the place that he ended up in, he was faithful to the task that God put before him. And so let that be our response as well. Our circumstances do not change the truth that God is perfectly shepherding your life. He is providing for everything that you need and he is redeeming the broken things in your life. Therefore, let us, not, let us respond by not letting our circumstances change our faithfulness to him. It's one thing to spend all our energy wishing our circumstances were different. It's another spending all of our energy being faithful to the tasks that are before us every moment that we, every morning that we wake up. So what area do you need to be faithful today, friends? Maybe it's your family, maybe it's particular relationships or friendships or your job, your studies. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've just kind of given up on or just let slip. Maybe you've allowed some sort of emotion, whether it be sadness, anger, bitterness, resentment, to fester and and, and tear down that faithfulness to that commitment or that responsibility that you have in your life. Let's trust that God shepherded you to where you are right now and he's going to provide for you where you're at. And one day, maybe on this earth, I hope, but maybe not till the next, there will be full redemption of what's happening. And I don't think it's coincidence. And I also don't think it's small. Even the little details, like what apartment you live in, Was it really just the lease that you happened to find? I don't know. But the more that I explore and think about this God that we follow, the more I realize that it's not by accident, but by his sovereign hand leading you and me to the place that we're meant to be. It's time for us to to step up to the call to be faithful in response. Let's bow our heads um, and just spend a moment in prayer. And I would like for all of us to visualize uh, maybe the thing that you feel is like the crazy point. When we entered the story for Joseph, it was the fact that he was imprisoned wrongly. He shouldn't have been there. He was wronged. It was unjust. He didn't do anything to Potiphar's wife. She did it to him. That's what he would have been focusing on. What is it for you? Maybe it's some stressor at work or family or physical or emotional or mental health. Maybe it's COVID and the fact that it's still going on. I I don't know. Maybe it's the economy. You know, all these things. Whatever it is for you, I'm sure many things I didn't even mention. What's your thing that you you look straight at and you're like, oh my goodness, like why is this happening? Let's just repeat a breath prayer looking that thing straight in the face and saying, God, you're with me. Let's meditate on a God who isn't about coincidence, 
but who leads us to the places he provides for us in those places and he will redeem us out of those places. So let's, let's do that prayer now. Lord, I pray that your word would just really linger in our hearts and minds. You know, it's... It, I think when we study your word, maybe we go to CG or we read a Devo or come to Sunday and hear a message or, you know, we listen to a podcast, we get these... Um, we, we get reminded of, of how trustworthy you are, Lord, and our, and we, our resolve uh, strengthens and our energy picks up and our hope and our trust gets reinforced. And then, and then naturally, over time, we forget. And then we start to despair again. And that's just a part of life. And so my prayer for this week and beyond for all of us is that you would allow your word to stay and linger in our hearts, in our minds, that you're with us regardless of the circumstances, that you are trustworthy because you are our good shepherd, because you are our abundant provider. Lord, because you are constantly, constantly with us. And we lack nothing. So would you just tattoo these truths, Lord God, into our souls um, to not only sustain us, but to help us be faithful and to be joyful and to thrive. To go about our weeks with confidence and boldness, knowing what it means for us to be a daughter or a son of the living God. And also holding tightly to the fact that even if it is difficulty, If it's where you're leading us, Lord, there's nowhere else that we'd rather be. So fuel us, God, if if any tanks here are empty. And grant us a happiness in you. Not a fleeting, feeling good happiness just like that or being in a good mood, but a happiness in Christ Jesus. Sustain us, Lord, as some of us are weary We are sojourners on a long journey, so would you refresh us and remind us just as in Joseph's life, you led him here and there with perfect intention in your sovereign good plan. Remind us, Lord, that we are just as loved and you are just as present and with us as you were with Joseph and you will forever be. So with our hearts joined and knit together, We trust you, Father God, King Jesus, Holy Spirit. We pray these all things in Jesus' name.